It is good to be back with you all. I was, uh, my wife and I were out of town last week. We were at a convention and uh, I heard that Matthew and the youth did just a great job and so I'm looking forward to watching the service this week uh, to see to see what they did. And so I was jealous of you guys last week but I'm glad glad to be back. But today we are continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, so we are in, uh, I believe this is week number three out of 265. And so uh, if you have your Bible, in just a few moments we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. So we're going to finish up uh, chapter 1 today. And what we're going to be looking at today is one of the really neat things that God provides His people with is power. Uh, We have the opportunity to experience, to know, and to use the power of God in our lives. And that's the last song that we sang as we talk about that you're the God of this city. And, and really it's just not just of this city, y'all. He is the God of this world. And we have the opportunity as believers, as followers of Christ, to tap in to that power, the power that God has. And yet I'm afraid that there are many of us, though, who don't recognize or understand that we have the power of God available to us. As a matter of fact, I believe that there are many of us who are very similar to uh, William Randolph Hearst. He was a famous uh, newspaper mogul years ago, and he loved art. And he was looking through a catalog, saw this one painting that he really wanted to have, and he had one of the men who worked for him. He said, I want you to go out, I want you to find this painting, buy it for me and bring it back. And so the man who worked for him went out, he looked for the painting everywhere, and after a couple of months... He actually found the painting, and so he called Hearst, and he said, listen, I want you to know, I've got good news for you, I found the painting. And Hearst said, that is great. He said, where did you find it, how much is it going to cost? He said, well, he said, it's not going to cost you anything, because I found it in your warehouse. He said, you already own it. And I'm afraid that there are many of us as believers who can identify with that story, in that we have the great power of God available to us, we, we desire to have it, we desire to experience it, and yet so many of us don't understand that when we have a relationship with God that we already have it in our warehouse. And so today in our scripture we're going to see Paul speaking to the Ephesian Christian church. And we're going to see in our text that he prayed, he said, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be opened up to what's available to you in Jesus He was telling them, I want you guys to know that you have the power of God at your disposal. And I want you to begin to tap into it and to use it. And the same thing is true for us. Guys, if we begin to understand who we are in Jesus and who our God is, I really believe this. We will turn this town and our neighborhoods and this community on its head for Jesus, because of who Jesus is. So the question is, well, how do we know what we have in, in Christ? Paul said in our text today in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul shares with us today that believers have power. And I really think, to me, that's, just, that's really a cool thought to me about Christians. Because I think typically, when others think about Christians, they don't think about power. You know, typically, when we think about Christians, we think, well, they're meek and mild, and if we don't like them, we shove them in a corner. And we think that as Christians, we're supposed to take it. 
You know, that we're just supposed to, you know, we get punched in the face. We have, we love that. Hit us again. And, you know, as, as Christians, you know, put us in a corner. We don't care. But when I look through Scripture, that's not what I discover when I look into the Bible. When I look in the Bible, I see that our God says that we have power. And yet too many of us have bought into the other idea. And so what we're looking for is we're looking to be accepted by the community and other people instead of looking to be obedient to God. And we, and we see ourselves as, as trying to fit into culture instead of understanding that with the power of God, we have the ability with His power to change culture. Because so many of us haven't bought into this idea of who God is. Man, we look just like everybody else, and it's hard to, you know, sometimes it's hard to distinguish what's the difference between a guy who follows God and a guy who doesn't. Now, I'm thrilled to say that, that in our church, we've seen some incredible things happen at Village Church. We've seen the power of God work here. And I've seen, I've seen marriages restored through the ministry of the church. I've seen people who've been transformed by the message of Jesus. When we were at youth camp, I was able to go up there for a couple of days. And let me tell you something. You guys, for those of you who have youth, you all have some really good kids. And there's like three of them that aren't. But the rest of them are really good. And, uh, and I'll tell the, you parents who they are later. Now, we have some really good kids. And it was just neat to watch God work in their lives. And so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged about the future and what God's going to do. So we have, we have the power of God available to us. But you know what? Can you imagine what it would really be like if we really tap in to who God is? And we really begin to allow God's power to work through us. Can you imagine what would happen? Well, you might say, what kind of power is available to us? Well, today in our text, we're going to see Paul. I'm, I'm briefly today just going to share with you a few things, a few things Paul shares with us about the power of God. And I want you to know this. First of all, we have the power to know God. That's one of the really neat things Paul tries to get across to the Ephesians and to us. We have power to know God. And if you go to verse 17, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul's prayer was that the eyes of the followers of God would be opened up to the power of God. And he says, I want you to understand, you can know God. Believers, we, we can know Him. It's not that we have to do anything special. It's just once we come into a relationship with God, we get to know Him. But the problem that many of us have is we don't take the time to get to know God. You know, we're willing to allow Jesus to, you know, we want Him to save us. We want Him to forgive us. We want to have heaven. But do we want to know Him? Do you want to know God? You know, whenever you get married, what, what do you what do you think what do you think is the important thing to to enhance your marriage? You know, there are some people who say, well, it's it's more sex, it's more money, it's more material things, and all those things are are band aid solutions. And most of the time, they're pretty self centered. They're pretty selfish. You know, typically, it's all about us. Let me, let me show you a secret. If you really want to get to know your spouse better, you know what's the, what's the most important thing that you can do? If you want to get really get to know them better, 
Spend time with them. You know, just simply take time to be with your spouse, to get to know them. Think about when you first met your spouse. When you very first met them, how well did you know them? You didn't know them very well, did you? I remember Emily's not here. She was here for the first service. So, y'all, I get to be real free. Uh, when, I, when I first met Emily, I, I, you know, there's only a few things I knew about Emily. I knew that she, uh, she knew my roommate well. And, uh, if she, you know, she lies to this day, says, I did not like him. Bull. She, so she ain't telling the truth there. But then she met me, and that all changed. But anyway, so she, I knew she knew my roommate. Uh, she had a couple of brothers. And I knew she was from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I knew she wasn't dating anybody. Now, those are kind of important things to know. We started going to church. I went to church with her. I, t- I was the third wheel. My roommate and her were always in the front seat. I was in the back seat. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's still the same way today. I was still riding the back. And so we're going to church, and, and, but we start spending time together. And we start hanging out together. And the more I got to know her, I started liking her. And we, I really got to know her because we started spending time together. I, I, the way to my wife's heart was a blizzard at Dairy Queen. And so we started hanging out together at Dairy Queen. And so the more, we, the more we got to know each other, the more we liked each other, the more we realized we shared a lot of things in common. And I got to know her and I loved her. You know, same thing's true with God. You want to love God, you've got to spend time with Him. You know, so how do you spend time with God? You know, it's not like you take God to Dairy Queen. You, you spend time with God by, by reading His Word. You spend time with God by being obedient to what He says. You spend time with God by sharing with Him in your prayers who you are and your desires. Say, God, I want to know you. And God, these are the struggles that I have. And the more you get to know God, you know what happens? The more you begin to love Him because you begin to understand that He loves you. Now, what happens if we don't do that? Well, we, we don't get to know Him. We miss out on the path that he has intended for our lives, the desires he has for us. And whenever we live in our own desires, it is in our nature to be contrary to the things of God. You want to find out how we live without the direction of God? You can look up Romans 1.18, and you'll see that by nature, we're selfish people, we're depraved people, and we go after what we want instead of God. So where does getting to know God begin? It begins with us giving ourselves to God and seeking his salvation. Jesus said in John 17, 3, he said, Now this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Now what happens when you begin to know God? You start to become like Him. For those of you who are married, you've been married for a while, have you all noticed that the longer you're married, that the more you begin to look like your spouse? Now that the, the longer you're married to your spouse, the more you begin to to rub off on each other, you start becoming alike. I mean, if you really get to know them. In the next couple of weeks, Emily and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, which just absolutely blows my mind because I'm 27. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be married for 20 years. And what I've noticed as time has passed, we have become, in some ways, we've started becoming like each we start We've rubbed off on each other. Now, sometimes not so good. But other ways, really good. Uh, whenever we started dating, and I'll, I'll be, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm hopefully, I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you guys. I'll be honest with you guys about who I am. One thing about me is I, I'm not, in, by nature, just a generous person. Um, I'm not, by nature, um, 
a person who enjoys people coming up and touching me. Uh, that's just my nature. Now, Emily, on the, Emily's very generous. If you know my wife, Emily loves to share. She she cooks. Some of you have had meals. Emily, cooks, she loves to cook. She'll cook and bring people meals. And I'm thinking, you are crazy. And, uh, you know, and I'm trying to figure out how can we eat. I was like, man, they don't need that. And so my son and I are trying to figure out, you know, how we can steal your food. And so, but Emily is just, she's very generous. When we were started dating, I remember driving in the car, and I had a Mountain Dew in the car. And I, I think I might have shared this with you before, but she said, can I have a drink of your Mountain Dew? And I was like, no, you can get your own. And, and so you, I mean, I was serious, and you can understand why she loved me so much. But, uh, and, you know, and part of the reason why is I didn't want to share with her. The other reason why is because I don't like people touching my stuff. And I was thinking, you know, never mind the fact that we're already kissing each other, but I'm like, don't put your lips on my bottle. Now, as time has passed by, I, I found myself becoming more generous. And, I, and it's not because of who I It's because I've gotten to know my wife, and I've, I've found joy in sharing. And she can even drink after me now. So that's a big step for us. Now, on Emily's side, she's become more like me. And if you know my wife, my wife is, my wife is very reserved. And she's, she's your typical Southerner. You know, very sweet. Emily's a sweet lady. She's a good lady. Now, she's... Yeah, she's tough. Y'all see my nose? Uh, she's tough, but uh, but she's very sweet. Now, and so she marries me, and uh, and the thing that I, our family and it's a natural trait. We we like to joke around and and uh, you know just be sort of obnoxious. And and Emily, that was just very foreign to her. But as time has gone on, Emily's gotten really obnoxious. You know, as time has gone on, you know, she, Emily enjoys laughing with us. She enjoys, you know, cutting up. She enjoys being spontaneous. So the idea is when you spend time with somebody, they begin to rub off on you. And that is the point that Paul is making here. God wants us to know him because as we know God, we become like him. We begin to develop some traits that come from God. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says, You were taught, he's talking to Christians, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, made, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, to become like God, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Y'all, we have power from God. Now, how does it begin? Or what, what is that power? We have power to know Him. But not only that, we have power to know God's calling. If you're a believer, you have power. You've been empowered by God to know the calling that God has for your life. Look in verse 18. Again, it's a prayer from Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? Uh, one of my, you know, one, one thing that drives me crazy is getting behind people who aren't real sure about where they're going when you're driving. And, you know, they're really tentative. We live off of, uh, you know, Long Creek, you know, the big circle, and there's always people like that that drive there. And they get on that road. If you live over there, they get on that road, and they drive 12 miles an hour, and they and then they're looking, is this the street I turn on? And they just sort of creep along, and they put the brakes on every you know, every street they come to, and they're oblivious to the fact there's 18 cars behind them, all honking and, and waving at them, a gracious wave. You know, just totally frustrated people. If you're one of the people that drives 12 miles an hour, get off the road, okay? You're not going to heaven if you keep driving like that. Now, that is, that's not found anywhere in Scripture, but I think that could be spirit-led. 
But anyway, just, you know, enough of that. Um, in, in a similar sense, we can be like those drivers whenever we don't know God's calling for our lives, we are very tentative in the way that we live. There's a lot of us that we, we trust God for salvation and forgiveness, yet we don't trust Him with our lives. Like, I, can't, I can't allow God to have control of, the, have leadership in my life because you know, what if He messes up? You know, but we don't trust Him with our eternity. So we're, atten- we're very tentative in the way that we live, and we just sort of creep along in this life. And that's why Paul said, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart will be open to God's calling for you. Now, when we talk about the, the heart, you know, we tend to think of you know, it's, it's emotional. How can I know God's calling for my life? Well, I'll just have a feeling about it. Now, this is a very foreign concept to the Hebrews. You have to remember this is written to Jewish people. And even and to, and this was written by a Jewish man. Uh, the heart was not, you know, we say I love you with all my heart, you know, whenever he played the game. He really put his heart into it. It's all about emotion. Now, that's not what this means here. Paul's not saying, I hope that you feel what God's calling you to do. That word heart is in reference to the heart being, they, they viewed the heart as being the seat of your intellect, your mind, wisdom, knowledge. Uh, they would refer to your intestines as being the emotions. And we still use this somewhat today. We say, you know, I have a gut feeling about something. Well, that's not the way the Hebrew mind worked. They, they saw your heart as, as being your mind. Now you might say, well then, what does, what does all this mean for me? I mean, what does it mean? It, it, it means that God's calling in your life is not something that you just feel. It's something that you can have confidence in because you know it's what God desires for you to do. Now, if you are controlled by your emotions and you make decisions strictly off emotion... Guys, let me tell you something. You're going to be you're going to be crazy, because some days you feel good, some days you don't. Some days you're up, some days you're down. The sign of an immature person is a person who bases the decisions in his life on his feelings. You know, we make a lot of decisions like that, and, and when you do that, you get in trouble a lot. You know, we know what the Bible says, and there's a couple of examples. I can give you an example of we know what the Bible says concerning. Uh, sex. It is to take place only within the bounds of marriage. When you make your decisions on that based off feelings, you're going to get in trouble. So it's a person, though, that I, I feel a lot for. You know, we connect. If I feel this way, it's, it's a natural passion. It can't be wrong. Sign of immaturity is basing your decision off feeling and not knowledge. And whenever you go with feeling. In this area, destruction. Same thing's true with our mouth, how we speak. You know, the Bible tells in the book of Ephesians, it says, No unwholesome word should proceed from your mouth. And yet, whenever you allow your emotion to rule what comes out of your mouth, what kind of things typically, typically come out of your mouth when they're dictated by emotion? Let me tell you, I guarantee you, 90% of the time, it ain't positive. It's not, it's not, words, the Proverbs tells us that the power of, of life and death is in your tongue. And if your mouth is controlled by emotion, you're going to destroy people. You want to know God's calling for your life? It is something that's not based on emotion, it's knowledge. God wants you to know Him. 
And as you know him, you discover his will and plan for your life. What's his plan for us? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's plan for your life is to live in light, not to live in sin and darkness. That's God's plan for you. His plan for you is to know the hope that he gives for your life. Ephesians 4.4 says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. We talk about hope in the Bible. It's not hope so. It's not like Christmas. Man, I hope I get this for Christmas. Because you might get it or you might not. With God, when he says you have hope in me, it's something you can count on. You're looking forward to it. haven't seen it yet, but I know it's coming. What have I not seen yet? Not seen heaven yet, but I know it's coming. God says, I've given you a hope for that. I look forward to that. I remember whenever Emily told me the first time that she was going to have have our, our, our son, our first son. And I've told her before, I was watching the uh, Super Bowl between the Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills. Big Cowboys fan. She tells me at halftime. I'm like in shock. I, remember, I don't even know who won the game. I mean, I'm like, yeah, it's just absolutely unbelievable. But she told me well, we're going to have a child. I was I was excited about it, but I was I couldn't I hadn't seen I couldn't see it right. I mean you know it's not like you I can look at my whenever they do the back whenever our first kid was born the ultrasounds were terrible I and mean, they're like oh look at your boy and I'm looking at it going I don't see anything I see a blob there. Uh, so but I knew that it was going to happen. I had a hope that it was going to happen. I just hadn't seen it yet. Right? I knew it was coming. I look forward to it. It wasn't a hope I had. I hope this had. I hope she really. I hope she's not carrying an alien. You know, I knew she had a kid in there. That's how it is with God. I haven't seen it yet, but I know He's coming for me someday. I know that God has a plan for me. First John three one through three says, "How great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God." And that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is it didn't know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We haven't seen it yet, but we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Y'all, the power of God is available to us in our daily living because our God has given us a sure thing. He's given us hope. He's coming back for his people. And because of that, we have power. We have power to know God. We have power to know God's calling for our lives. It's to live in hope. And that's the last thing I want you to see. We also have this. We have power to spend God's riches. And I like this one. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power to spend the riches that come from God. In verse number 18, this is kind of a long section, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put everything under his feet, appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. 
Now, for those of you, you who like to shop, you're going to like this. God wants you to know you can spend his riches. God is not a cheapskate. He says, I'm a wealthy God. I'm a God who has everything, and I want you to spend the wealth that I have for you. Now, we talk about the wealth of God and spending his riches. Don't, don't, I don't want you to think that you're going to go home and find a million-dollar check in your mailbox that's from God. It's talking about having the ability to spend the riches of God's power. Now, here's a question I'd like for you to think about. Are you allowing God's strength and power to work in your life? And you, know, you can look at it and say, you know what, I, I just know my life, I feel weak. I feel tired. I feel burnt out. I feel like I have no power whatsoever in my daily living. Let me tell you something. It's not that you don't have power. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not that you don't have power to have those things. It's that you are not spending the power that God's made available to his people. You know, it's really easy to be overwhelmed in life. There, have you all noticed this? There's a lot of garbage that happens in life. You watch the news, garbage on them. I mean, there's just junk city that's going on in our world. Some of us physically, through no fault of our own, have had a lot of trash happen to us. You know, we look at it and there's things that happen to our body. You're like, I didn't cause this. And we feel weak and defeated and tired. And you know what? On your own, you are. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Satan knows who we are in our human nature. And the one thing he wants from us is he wants to make sure that we never find out that we have the ability to spend the riches of God's power. And so he attacks us mentally and spiritually Physically, he attacks our values. And he tries to make us outcast so that we don't live in power. But God's given us power. In Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, we're told, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. God says, I'm giving you power to not just survive this world, but to live with victory. You know, physically, you can be in shambles physically, but you can live with power. You can be emotionally robbed by other people, who have beaten you down and have cheated you and have ripped your heart, but you can live with power. Jesus has given you power to overcome. To overcome those things, those hurts, and those those things that destroy us. You say, how powerful is God's power? What can God's power really do? I want you, if you have your Bible, you can look in in, uh, verse number 20. How powerful is God's power? Verse 20 tells us it's powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. That's pretty impressive. How powerful is God? He can raise people from the dead. I don't know anyone else who does that. Verse 21 and 22. How powerful is God's power? It says his power is above all authorities and all other powers. What does that mean? He's more powerful than anybody else. My God is bigger than your God, right? He's big. He's stronger than anybody else. 
That's pretty powerful. Jesus affirmed this when he said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth, all authority, says, has been given to me. Now, what does that fact mean for us today? The next verses, verses 22 and 23, give us some practical application here. Because we are followers of Jesus, we are called the church. And the Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ, right? Have you all heard that before? Church is the body of Christ. Who is the head of the body? Jesus. Y'all remember what happened to the body of Christ after Jesus was crucified on the cross? Three days later, what happened? He, he rose. If y'all, if y'all didn't answer that, oh, this has not been good. Yeah, he rose from the grave. Now, let me ask you this. What part of Jesus came up from the grave? Was it just his arm? Did Jesus' head raise from the grave? That was it? No, his body. Every bit of Jesus rose from the grave. You say, what does that mean? Who are we? We are the body of Christ. What does that mean? There's an application here, a correlation. And that is that the same power that raised Jesus' body is the same power that is available to his spiritual body today. Christians, village church, Paul is teaching us a lesson today. We have power. And we are living in a time where there is a major power outage. We are living in a time where there is a sleeping giant in our community, in our state, and in our nation. You know what the sleeping giant is? It is the body of Christ. Can you imagine what would happen if Christians understood they had power? And we didn't live in fear. But we lived knowing that our God is with us. And if our God be for us, then who can be against us? Y'all, can you imagine how much we would change our culture, our society, our schools, our families, if we lived in the power that God tells us over and over again? It's available to you. Start using it. Start living with confidence. What kind of power do we have? Oh, we have the power to know God. We have the power to know God's calling. What's our calling? It's to live in light, not darkness. It's to throw off the old way of life, the, the, the garbage and junk and sin of this world. Guys, let's quit going after it. And believe that our God is faithful and that He's real. And we have the power to spend his riches. Are you spending his riches? You know, I say, man, I tell you what, I, I don't even need the bulbs on. You know, I can flick a switch and I don't feel anything. That's the case more than likely. Is that you're not connected. You know, if you're a body, if we're the body, we're connected to the head. If you're not connected to the head, you're dead. And some of you need to be, you need to be connected to Christ. How's that happen? There's not really, there's just three basic things that I see in Scripture, not some little cute mantra that we make up. What the Bible says. One, acknowledge that we are sinful. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin. We, we have to confess that we are messed up people and that we have rebelled against God. 